show me the money. That's what we're going to do today, guys. We're going to show you the money. We're going to talk about what it takes to be fundable in 2023 for yourself, for your business, individually, and for your clients. So it's going to be a fun little episode here. Even though I said episode 18 last time, I was lying. It was actually 17. This is episode 18. And we are almost 48 hours away from Super Bowl Sunday. So that's going to be excited. Cool. Jillian's excited about the halftime show with Rihanna. And we're talking about whether we should bet whether she's going to you know, sing the songs, Shine Bright Like a Diamond or not, or maybe Umbrella Ella Ella a few times. So exciting things on the horizon. Don't have much to say about that one. But. Yeah. You know, we uh, our lease is up in April. And so we're thinking, oh, should we look at new... The more I think about it, the more I think we should just stay here as long as we possibly can because it really is a great setup here. So don't don't ever be in a hurry to go spend more money on a more expensive office. And then there's all the disruption that happens. So I think we should take our time. Yeah, agreed. All right, so here's what we got on tap for you guys today. This is the agenda. We're going to do the, the top five steps that it takes to become fundable business-wise, entrepreneur-wise, and as an individual you know, and Ty's going to talk about all the uh, fun of getting uh, a mortgage in today's uh, mortgage <laughs> environment. A lot of fun. So we're going to talk about funding success stories with Kevin Plank and Under Armour. He's got a great story. We're going to talk about the personal credit foundation that you must have to be fundable. And there's a lot of misinformation and disinformation related to credit in this country. So we're going to talk about that. Phil Knight's funding story, founder of Nike. And uh, he was he was uh, in Los Angeles to see LeBron James break the uh, the all time scoring record, and Kareem Abdul Jabbar, who had had that record for three decades, handed him the ball. It was very cute, and LeBron uh, was very emotional. Did you see Enes Cantor's tweet on that? I saw Enes Cantor's tweet. We'll definitely talk about that <laughs> because he uh, he brings a lot of emotion and passion when it comes to freedom and. Let's just say he doesn't have any patience for anybody who bows the knee to China, which LeBron has been, you know, accused, alleged of doing. So we'll talk about that. Business credit. There's a lot of misinformation about business credit. Ty is an expert on business credits. We're going to talk about what it takes to get a great business credit score and what that really means for the fundability of your business. We're going to talk about uh, Google's funding story. That's uh, going to be interesting. And then uh, we've got a few other things on tap there, Ty. Yeah, we're going to talk about verifiable personal income, what that really is, and some of the misconceptions there. Um, Brendan Bouchard, mm-hmm. which we'll, we'll dive into that story. We'll then obviously have to talk about verifiable business income and, yeah. and how that differs from personal income. A lot of misconceptions. And then kind of talk a little bit about Russell Brunson and, he, and his story there. He had an interesting funding story. It's funny, you don't learn about these things until you're in like a really intimate setting with these uh, guys and gals, and you're like, oh... They, everybody has a funding story, I think. Yeah, and which, obviously, if we're going to do all of this, we better talk about our funding story yeah, and, yeah, and how we made story. this whole thing happen. No question. And uh, we'll talk about, uh, you know, what debt ratios mean when it comes to funding. And uh, also, um, you know, Ty is hopefully not going to experience this at all, but uh, the mortgage I got on the current house we live in in 2017 was the mortgage from hell. So I'm going to unpack that a little bit. That'll be, we'll see how much time we, we have to get through all these, but some fun topics, a lot of stories, and the power of funding and how it can take a business from where it's at to where it wants to go. And without that funding, I mean, it's very difficult to create your dream business. You sure better be very profitable, better be able to just you know live very frugally if you don't have funding in the meantime. But if you can get access to it, and, and the thing is, everybody can. 
Yes. That's that's what we're going to talk about today. Welcome to the Go Figure podcast created for parents and business owners who want to get their money right. My name's Leo Cannell. As a husband and father of five, I've been fortunate to create two eight-figure businesses in the fintech space. This podcast will share the values, principles, strategies, tools, and tactics that have helped us to build a fintech empire and provide an epic life for our family. Having been a parent and entrepreneur for 20 years, there's a lot I don't know. There's been a lot of failure. The good news is together, we'll find solutions to creating an epic life powered by a business that we love. All right, so at the top here, we'll start with the uh, the Kevin, Kevin Plank Under Armour story. And, you know, it starts in Maryland. And Kevin Plank is this walk-on college football player with the University of Maryland they're doing three-a-day practices in the early days of August, the dog days of summer, and it's uh, 80 90% humidity, and they've got these cotton T-shirts on, and it's just full of sweat and humidity, and they're just so they, – they just uh, feel weighed down. They feel like they're slowed down by it, and he's like, there's got to be a better, you know, material out there. So, Ty, when you think back to when you were going through, you know, football practice right before – you know, the season would start and you're doing a bunch of practices a day. Do you remember, like, uh, any apparel that you were wearing? Like, did you have any Under Armour apparel? I did, Leo. I, I am a, a little bit younger. So the uh, the Under Armour generation, I, I still remember. I was, like, 10 years old when that whole, yeah. like, they're wearing the chains. We'll protect this house. Like, those crazy yeah, commercials. Those like commercials. That's kind of when my football career was starting. So oh, I, nice. I actually where I, I did wear a lot of Under Armour yeah. throughout my football career, and it was noticeably different when those days you'd forget it or it was too dirty and you'd have to wear a cotton shirt under the pads. And, I mean, that was some revolutionary they, – they had some revolutionary creations when it came to not just hot gear but cold gear as well. No question about it. And so an amazing breakthrough, and Under Armour is now the number two, I think, uh, sports apparel company in the world, number two to Nike, and – you know, I don't think that they've made the inroads with shoes, but the apparel, like, I think they have just dominated it, and they've done just such a unique breakthrough. I mean, a disruption of the sports apparel industry where everything was cotton shirts that were nasty. And uh, think, look at all the shirts you wear now. Everybody's copying them and using the same idea, the same type of material. But so in the mid-'90s, there Kevin Plank is, and this is this guy's an entrepreneur. Like he would go and buy a bunch of roses, and for all those college students who are hoping to, you know, hook up and, and get lucky on Valentine's Day, he's selling a bunch of roses. He was selling food, tickets, all these things, and so he saved up like twenty grand. And when he has this idea in the middle of football practice, he starts to find out the right material, and he realizes he's going to need like fifty grand. To to really develop this material. And this is a different, uh, you know, this is 25, 30 years ago. And so, um, you know, it's a lot more money yeah. with inflation and whatnot. And so he had built a good personal credit profile and he secured five credit cards for about $40,000. And he made those payments. He got set up, I think, in the basement, I want to say, of his grandma's house, something like that. And uh, took him like nine, 12 months. Finally got his first sale with the Georgia Tech football team. Then he got uh, some sales, I think, with the Atlanta Falcons. And then just one thing led to another. And he grew and he grew and he grew. But that initial funding story, that $40,000 in cards that he used. And, you know, I think uh, at the time, especially at the time, financial advisors and accountants 
would probably never really build a really big successful business would have said that's a bad idea. You shouldn't go in debt to, to start a business. We talked about it last week. Mark Cuban says don't get a loan to start a business. And yet here's an example of Kevin playing $40,000 in credit cards. And he's now worth, he is a billionaire. His company makes billions of dollars a year. They have made the world better for so many athletes. All of us, right? Anybody who works out, we have this uh, Under Armour type material that even if it's not Under Armour, other competitors have copied it. Like he really made the world a better place as an entrepreneur, and it started with that initial funding. Yeah, no, I actually prefer their golf shoes to oh. Nike, to Foot Joy, to some of these other big name brands. Really? And, and they're, they're, they're the main sponsor for Jordan Spieth. Like they're really making a splash okay. in the golf space too. Well, as someone who is uh, making the commitment to get good at golf, or I mean, you know, not lose 10 balls every 18 holes <laughs> of golf this year, me. And uh, Ty's an expert, so he's uh, already given me some uh, tips. We were at Top Golf yesterday and, and uh, learning about how the, the grip is and all those things are, but that's good to know. So, yeah. so when I'm ready, then I'll get some Under Armour golf shoes. Yeah, get you some Jordan Spence. Under Armour did not sponsor this show, by the way, but we love Kevin Plank's entrepreneurship story and his story about funding and. And it's one that we've used and that thousands of our clients have used very similarly to create amazing businesses. So we'll definitely talk a little bit about that. All right. So so at the foundation of Kevin Plank, to get $40,000 in credit cards, and that's still a viable way. Like if you're not going that route, like what other options are there if you're a brand new business owner in 2023? There's not a lot. I'm, I mean, truth be told, Leo, you, you go to the bank and you say, hey, I need a loan for my business. They say, great, let's see your financials. Well, I'm not in business yet. Okay, that's like a 14-year-old going to the bank and saying, I need an auto loan, right? They don't, there's nothing there to base it off of. It's not going to happen. So, you know, you can go to the SBA, give them your very best shot as pre-launch, pre-revenue business. You've got to have 20% down. You've got to have a really good, strong personal credit score. You've got to have a phenomenal proof of concept. It has to be in the right industry. And even then, what, less than 10% get that startup SBA loan. We're not talking about like a a franchise. That's a little bit different scenario. But a a standard startup SBA loan is just very, very unrealistic. You're not getting a business loan. You're not getting a business line of credit. So you've got a couple options. You can borrow money from a friend, family member, and kind of go mingle things there. I don't know if I'd ever suggest that um, unless you really, really, really believe in what you're doing there. Or number two, you can leverage your personal credit and get a personal loan or personal credit cards. But there's no such thing as a 0% interest personal loan. There's not. You know, I remember the first time I learned about the, the startup SBA loan and I was we were pretty young in there trying to build uh, the business funding marketplace we have. And there was this guy, really nice guy, and he had worked at this company and he had a, he had built up his 401k to like 100 grand and w- that was what he needed to get this franchise off the ground. And it was, it was not Starbucks, but it was a coffee shop type startup and it was going to be in Ogden, just north of Salt Lake City. And just the nicest guy in the world and he needed another twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 in working capital uh, which we were able to able to get him with some uh, 0% uh, cards. But he got the $100,000 SBA loan, but the only reason he got it was because they took his $100,000 401k as collateral. I'm like, okay, yeah, if you don't pay the loan back, we'll just keep your 401k. <laughs> so it's like, it's almost like, hey, here's a hundred grand. Now you give me a loan for a hundred grand. Is that even a loan? Yeah, that doesn't make that a lot of sense. Is that even a loan? It, I mean, I guess that is another way. You yeah. can liquidate an IRA or a 401k. We have 
have teams that can do that, help you get it tax True. and penalty free. No, True. not saying that's the best way, but that would be considered another option. No question. No question. So at the beginning, you know, as an entrepreneur or just someone who wants to get their money right, your personal credit plays a big role. What do you think some of the biggest misinformation things are that are out there when it comes to personal credit? I would say the very first thing that I hear day in and day out, number one, no lender gives a rat's ass about your vantage score. I'm sorry. Oh, Those man. free vantage scores you get, I, I'm not going to name it. Credit. <laughs> Credit Karma. There you go. That's a big one. Great company. Awesome. Doing really, really good things. I'm going to say the score that they give you is a vantage score, and no it lender sure will is. look at a vantage score when they're making a decision on what to give you for funding. It's so funny, dude, because just like two days ago in our Slack channel, one of our big strategic partners was like, hey, this client has a, a, a 705 from Credit Karma. Why are they getting declined? This is bullshit. I'm like, okay, hold on. Let, let's look at it. And I looked at the report, and actually Experian FICO score was giving him a 609, and he had like four collections for like $10,000. I'm like, well, actually that, that uh, Vantage score with Credit Karma is not accurate. Every lender goes off of the FICO score. So when you're talking about personal credit, I guess the first place we should start is a good one where you just, you have to identify Vantage scoring doesn't mean that much. FICO score means everything. And most lenders are going off of FICO, FICO 8, FICO 9 is kind of the version that they go off of. Vantage scoring is just not very accurate, and that's not what lenders use. Exactly. That That's probably the first step, the first point of advice I would give is know and understand what your lender is going to be looking at so that you can get the proper reports and know how to actually build your credit and actually see what they're looking at. So step one, get the right report. The second aspect of personal credit where I think there's a lot of misconceptions is Yes, inquiries do have an impact on your credit to an extent, but so many people are so freaked out about inquiries when in all, in all reality, inquiries only make up 10% of your credit score. It's a very, very small credit factor. They only stay on your credit for two years. And what I've been noticing with lenders, Leo, is they really only care about those denial-based inquiries. As long as an inquiry is resulting in an approved open account, within a few months, that approved open account seems to outweigh the negative of that inquiry denial-based inquiries are the ones you need to be careful about. Yeah, no question about it. And uh, we've talked about this. Loan officers across the country have done a wonderful job of making people feel like, oh, credit inquiries are going to ruin my life and just trash my credit score and you're going to screw me forever. How dare you give me an inquiry? And they've done a wonderful job at that misinformation of making people feel like, oh, I can't ever have a credit inquiry. And, and then there's this idea that I can actually get financing without a credit inquiry, which is just not true. You're only going to get a loan, a line of credit, a credit card, a business, any any type of financing with a hard credit inquiry. And hard credit inquiries make up 10% of your credit score, as Ty said. So yes, you want to be, you know, uh, you want to be judicious in taking credit inquiries that are going to lead to approvals. And hopefully you can work with someone where you can get a free pre-approval that doesn't ding your credit. You know what's interesting? Like the mortgage industry, it still seems like they always say, oh, it's a soft credit pull to get pre-approval. It always ends up being a hard. <laughs> I don't know. What I, yeah. And they're like, they're so heavily regulated. I don't know how they're getting away with saying, oh, yeah, I want to. But it ends up being like not even a, a just experience. It's always a tri-merge. So they're going to hit you with Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. It's going to be a, a tri-merge hard inquiry on all three of the, your credit bureaus. And so that's that's how it works. But 
Um, I feel like the auto industry is worse, though. Oh, and what's so no bad question. with the auto industry they are is the worst. not only is it tri-bureau, but they'll shop you across all these different lenders. So you have three new inquiries because you have one on each credit with each credit bureau, but you'll have it with five different financial institutions. So it's really like 15. Oh, my word. But those are going to be open-ended inquiries, almost like denial inquiries, because you're only going to take one auto loan. Now you have all these other inquiries that aren't tied to an open account that it's not the end of the world. Like I, I've had things like that happen. And if you're trying to get a home loan or something, you have to write up letters of explanations and whatnot. But it's, I hate when auto dealers do that. There are auto loan brokers that are just so irresponsible and unknowledgeable. And they're literally shotgunning your information out to like five or 10 different lenders when it's like, dude, you should know. Like if you look at their credit and their income, you're like, oh, this is going to be the best lender for you. It's going to give you the best rate, the, the lowest payment. Uh, or at most maybe two lenders, but five to 10, I mean, just irresponsible, lazy uh, auto loan brokers out there that do that. And we see it all the time. And then we have to go through and, and, uh, and get those, uh, you know, removed because they weren't authorized in yeah. the first place and just a, a headache and a nightmare. So yeah, credit inquiries is, is definitely a big thing. Have you seen this where someone's like, I have always made my payments on time and they automatically equate well, I always have made my payments on time. I should qualify for the best. Yeah, we we hear that a lot. But the problem is when they say, I've always made my payments on time, you look at their credit history, it's like all you've ever had is an, a student loan from 1990. And yeah. it's great you've paid that on time, but you have maybe a little bit of installment history, but you have zero revolving history, and that's the problem there. Um, which brings us to the next point when we talk about breaking down personal credit the biggest factor with your personal credit score is your utilization. Oh, yeah. And in order to have that take effect, in order to have utilization, you have to have revolving credit accounts. Revolving credit meaning as you pay the debt, it becomes available again, like a credit card, right? A loan, an installment loan is not a revolving credit line because when you pay that loan back, it disappears. So utilization is what percent of my available credit am I spending? If it's a $10,000 card and I'm spending $5,000, that's 50% credit utilization. The quickest way, that makes that's about 35% of your credit score, Leo, oh, is yeah. made up by your credit utilization. So the quickest way to improve your score, if you have high balances on a credit card, is to get your utilization down. They say below 30%, but the lower you get it, the higher your score is going to go up. However, Brings me back to that point. If you don't have credit cards, you don't have revolving lines of credit, you can't build history with revolving credit lines. And you don't have a utilization because there's nothing there. So that's, the, that's I think, a, bit, a big part of the misinformation. Oh, I've always made my payments on time. I should qualify for the best mortgage rate, the best business loan, et cetera, et cetera. But then we look at the credit. Well, actually, you've got you know $20,000 in maxed out credit cards. So yes, you've always made your payments on time. But actually, to lenders, because your utilization makes up such a big percentage of your credit score, and whether lenders are going to approve you, they're like, ah, no, your credit is tapped out. Your one missed payday from defaulting on like five or six different accounts that you've got because your credit is maxed out. And so that big, big aha moment for a lot of people that they and and they don't teach us anything about credit in school. They still don't. Um, and that's why we have the Credit College platform that we give out for free to everyone who applies for funding, any of our partners. We want them to spread that information so that people understand how credit works because it impacts your life big time. And so, number one, you must have credit cards or your credit history is incomplete. 
And number two, making your payments on time, very important, but also keeping your balances below 30, 40% of the limit of your cards is going to keep your credit score high. If you start going above 50%, 60, 70, you're going to see a lot of declines and your score is going to be actually too low for most people to actually qualify for the best rates of a mortgage, a business loan, card stacking, whatever it is. And guess what? Just because your mother added you as an authorized user on her account when you were 18 years old does not mean you have credit history. It's not like it used to be. You've got to get your own accounts. You can't piggyback off your parents or your spouse anymore. You have to develop your own history nowadays. So that's another bit of, I'm glad you brought that up. That's one of those big misinformation things out there. You've got these credit repair companies that they'll fix someone's credit, but then there's no strong account. So then they'll sell you, hey, pay me two grand for some authorized user accounts. I'll put a $30,000 credit card with 10 years of of good history. That's going to be really great for your credit. And that type of thing used to work maybe 10, 15 years ago, but it does not work anymore because lenders know that those are authorized user accounts. The credit uh, bureaus do not give you hardly any credit for an authorized user account. It must be an individual account that you qualified for individually or at worst, a joint account that you and a spouse partner qualified for together. But if it's just an authorized user AU account, that really does not count for much. Not anymore. The one last piece of advice I do want to give on this because... And for some of you, this might seem very, very elementary, but I run into this enough that I hope someone's listening that it it can impact. When you're going out to get a new car, you do not have to go through financing with that dealership. Mm -hmm. They may be able to shop you a million places, which probably will hurt your credit. What I suggest you do is you go where you have a banking relationship. Go directly to who you bank with. Say, hey, I'm interested in getting a car. I'd like to put it through you. Can you get me a pre-approval? And then when you go to the dealership, bring that pre-approval letter with you. Say, hey, I already have financing secured. Do not touch my credit. Here's my pre-approval. I probably wouldn't give them that pre-approval. I don't want them to know how much I can actually spend. So keep that close. Don't tell them that actual number. Or they'll max you out. Exactly. But let them know I'm already pre-approved. I've got my own financing secured. You're not going to run my credit. I've got that handled myself. Exactly right. So, I, and, and also with auto loans, it seems like for whatever reason, it's almost always a credit union that gives you a better rate and a better deal than a bank. Have you seen that as the case? Absolutely. Occasionally, yeah. banks will do crazy promotions. Like, you can catch them every once in a while. But I think every single auto loan, including the one I got a few months ago, is, has been with a credit union. I agree. Auto loan, boat loan, any of those type of vehicle type loans your local credit union is almost always going to have the best deal. And so having a relationship with that local credit union, a great place to go. That way the auto loan broker is not shotgunning your application out to 10 different lenders and digging your credit up. But working with that local credit union is smart. When it comes to mortgages, I feel like you, you need to have a trusted mortgage broker who has all of the options and can get you the best deal. Again, if you go to the local bank, it might just be one or two uh, mortgage products. It might not be the best deal. But if you're dealing with a mortgage broker, I feel like your odds for a better deal are higher. What do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, 100%. The only outlier I've seen with that is if you're building, like in a development, okay. like DR Horton may have lender credits available because yeah. they have their own financing. But outside of that, 100%, find a mortgage broker that knows you especially if you're an entrepreneur, you're self-employed, your your finances are a little bit complicated. You want that broker that understands you and your situation because it's going to be way easier than going directly to a bank. No question. Casey, I know you're watching our awesome video editor 
all the way in North Carolina, Casey. I think we're going to need like four or five shorts from all that credit stuff because that was some good stuff. People are going to love that. So we'll be looking for those, Casey. All right, let's transition to our business credit section. And our business credit section, you know, you got personal credit and then you got business credit if you're an entrepreneur, small business owner, and you're trying to build any type of business entity. And there's misinformation out there. But I want to tell you guys a story about uh, Phil Knight and um, his book that came out, Shoe Dog, and oddly enough, uh, my son Marcus actually listened to this, and oh. uh, my wife did too, and they don't usually, uh, my, my son loves entrepreneurial books, my wife does not, but she actually found this one so fascinating, she actually listened to it, wow. like, dang, good job, honey. So this, this book is Phil Knight's story of starting Nike. And it's a great story. Like, this guy ran track, and they used to have really crappy track shoes that would rip and tear their feet up. And so he was always trying to figure out how he could get better running shoes and improve his times. Um, he would get home, and he'd just run three or four miles. You just listen to this book, and i got to go run four miles just because he's so inspiring. And he starts off this, starts this off as a side hustle. He's working full-time as an accountant, and uh, he gets married. Really interesting life, too. Before he starts his uh, business um, with Nike, he literally travels around the world. And I don't know how his dad was kind of a successful uh, newspaper guy, and he convinced his dad to pay for some of it. And then he got to Hawaii, uh, and he went with his buddy, and then they got jobs, and they, they uh, saved up more money in Hawaii, and they were, like, screwing around there, hooking up with girls and and his friend's like, oh, I'm just staying in Hawaii. And, and Phil Knight's like, no, bro, I'm going around the world. So, And then he loved, he, he was fascinated by Japanese running shoes because Japanese running shoes were higher quality running shoes. So he goes to Japan and he learns more about their running shoes and the Japanese way of life, and he likes that. And then he goes around the world and he comes back and he, he starts his accounting uh, job, I think, and then he starts Nike on the side. And so weekends, he's at track meets and he's selling his uh, these uh, shoes because he imports them from Japan. And anyway, uh, the first 15 to 20 years, I swear he's about ready to go bankrupt and go out of business like every quarter. Oh, shit, I'm out of money. Oh, And, and so what he does is he builds up these credit relationships and he pays his business bills on time, and he does what he says he's going to do, and he's always just barely staying ahead. And so he, he builds relationships with creditors in the Oregon area, where Nike's uh, located there, close to Portland, and he gets money there, and then he ta he's tapped out. There's only two or three banks there, right? So then he yeah. starts going to California, and he builds relationships there. And Sam Walton did something very similar with Walmart, the founder of Walmart. And so he builds this business credit relationship, gets a really good credit score with Dun & Bradstreet, and he's able to get just enough business loans to stay in business. And then eventually Nike goes public, has their big IPO, and then they have enough money and they can sign Mike, the Michael Jordans, and the rest is history. But it literally took two decades of him building up business credit and just reinvesting in the business. I mean, he's not doing crazy things, buying crazy homes, doing anything like that. And he literally sacrifices for two decades. And then the result is the Nike that we know and, and love. But it all happened with the business credit history and relationships that he built with that business credit. You know, you're an expert at business credit. What do you think is some of the misinformation out there about business credit that business owners are being told that's just not true? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I, I think the very first misconception is that Phil Knight got that credit simply because, because he had a good paydex score, 
yeah. right? Yes, he had a good paydex score. And a paydex score, the, the best way to compare what a paydex score is, is, it's like the FICO score on the business side of things, right? It's, it's probably one of the most looked at scores. When a, a lender's looking at your business credit, they want to see your paydex score. It's a zero to 100 scale. And oh, yeah. I would say 85 plus, you're, you're sitting pretty, you're looking pretty good. But there's this big misconception. A lot of people out there selling you all these programs of, you know, let's let's get you up to an 85, 90 paydex score, and then we can go get you a million dollars in business credit. Well, guess what? Phil Knight also had financials. Oh, yeah. yes, he had a great paydex score, and that's why he was able to get probably some favorable terms. And he had perfect personal credit too. Exactly. That's yeah. the other misconception I was going to dive into is. Every business lender, for the most part, I, I guess I should say 99% of them, yeah. they will look at your business credit. It doesn't mean it's necessarily personally guaranteed. A lot of times it will be, whether you know it or not. It doesn't mean that it has to be. It doesn't mean that it's going to report to your personal credit. Most business funding options won't, but they still will absolutely look at your personal credit from an approval decision logic standpoint. Exactly. So it's like, hey, let's look at your business credit, but I'm starting with your personal credit because if your personal credit's not good, I'm not even looking at your business credit. And until you have like a $50, $100 million a year business that really has established business credit and the financial history to back it, and I still am going to look at your personal credit too, it's still going to come down to your personal credit score as a business owner. Now, it's super helpful to have that business credit and you should work on it and there's yes. a lot of benefits to having it. It will lead to better, bigger approvals. It'll help your business grow. It's a it's a public it's a public record thing, right? Like your personal credit's private, but business credit is public. Anybody can look at that. And so, if I want to decide if I want to do business with you, if you're trying to get your product into, you know, Walmart or a government contract, like they'll check that. And if it's not good, you're going to be in trouble. And so, business credit is important, but there is so much. And I think the biggest misinformation about it is somebody who's going through credit repair because their personal credit's struggling, and then someone tells them, you know, this pipe dream of, oh, yeah, don't, we'll work on your business credit. Here's a $10,000 business credit coaching package, and you can get $100,000 in funding for your business. And you're like, yes, perfect. My personal credit's going to suck for two more years. I'm going to pay ten grand, and I'm going to get $100,000, and then it doesn't happen. No. And what, what do you actually get with some business credit? Though? I mean, maybe a... Internal line of credit with Quill, yeah, or Uline. So if you're just getting started, pre-revenue, you can uh, get a, a a crazy amount of Saran wrap and a shitload of toilet paper and office supplies. And uh, unless you're reselling stuff like that, I don't know how that's going to help you a Dude, whole lot. In, but uh, in 2009, in the middle of the 0809 recession, my credit shit. It's gone to like 483. And I'm defaulting on all these mortgages and then, you know, go through the process of rebuild it, get back up to a 750, 800, took some time, took a lot of work, but someone did sell me on that. Oh, you just need corporate credit, bro. And you can get a hundred grand. Okay, cool. So I think we paid like 2,500 and it had like a, a little guarantee on it. So we went to work and I'm buying all this stuff, but Quill and Gamplers were getting like hiking boots and <laughs> paper supplies and weird stuff that we don't even really need, but we're building our business credit and we go through it. And um, here's what we ended up getting. We did get a $7,000 business credit card with Amazon. Wow. So we could buy stuff on Amazon for the business. We got five uh, gas cards with Chevron. Flying Exxon, J. Flying J. Yep. Okay, great. Uh, I guess we can finance our gas. Uh, but it wasn't cash. It wasn't yep. I can use it wherever I want to do marketing, to do payroll, 
um, to invest in a new website, like all the stuff that you actually want and need, it didn't translate. Into well, that. and not only was it not cash, but it's not a truly unsecured open credit card. It, they were store cards or charge oh, yeah. cards. And that's the problem there yeah. with these types of accounts. You can't really use them for what you need them for, for your business. So do I think going through a course like that is always bad? No, I, th- I think if you're a legitimate business and you have financials, having a good, strong rating with a, you know, getting set up with Dun & Bradstreet, having a great Paydex score, a great IntelliScore, things like that are going to save you a lot of money because you're going to get a lot, a, a much better rate, but you're not going to get actual capital unless you have the financials to back that. Just not going to happen. All right, guys, those are the uh, truths, the pro, the uh, reality with business credit. Very important, a good thing for a business owner, but it's not going to replace good personal credit, and it's certainly not going to replace no. verifiable business financials in your business. So let's talk about verifiable financials income. The next story, a uh, couple stories I like to share is Google's funding story. They were growing early on, and the owners, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, actually were short on some money. They needed more servers. They needed more equipment. Uh, Google's a very equipment-driven thing where you have to have all these servers to hold all the data and uh, be able to have that readily available and functioning fast when someone does a search on Google, and that's how they were building it out. And so they were using some of their verifiable income, both personally and as a business to qualify for some financing to buy some of these early servers and equipment that they had to have before Google became a household name and before they were able to raise, you know, whatever it was, 50, 100, 200 million dollars in in venture capital funding. Before they got there, they had to have skin in the game themselves and having that verifiable income helped. So as a business owner, if I want to qualify, you know, for funding using my business income, like what are they looking at? I think the biggest thing that most lenders I'm finding will look at right now is it's kind of the what have you done for me lately concept. 100%. They don't care that two years ago you were extremely profitable on a tax return. That that doesn't matter to them anymore. They're going to look at your very, very heavily your three most recent bank statements. And then they're also going to ask for your six most recent when it really comes down to that main decision they're making. Exactly. They're very savvy. They've got all these uh, business uh, bank account programs where yeah. you know companies like Plaid, they're able to connect up. They see exactly. And they're looking for trends. And some of the trends they're looking for is what's your average daily balance. So if you're someone who's putting the bank account in the negative, and one of the craziest things I ever saw, we had a client who applied for funding. This was like four or five years ago. And the dude literally was going negative 83, negative 100,000, and his bank was letting him do it. And they were charging him a fortune and overdraft fees and negative bank account balance fees. But they was literally negative 80 to $100,000 once a month. And he'd had the bank account for years. And so they knew he was most likely going to bring it up. Boy, awfully risky. I, I don't know if I'd be doing that if I was the bank. But if you're putting your bank account in the negative, how are you going to afford a business loan? Exactly. I mean, that's the decision. That That's what they're going to look at and say, if it's going negative every month, there's no surplus. Um, I don't care what you're using the loan for. You're not going to be able to pay it back right away. And where I have seen this kind of get a little complicated, Leo, is people that are now doing this profit first strategy. And so they have, you know, five different bank accounts that the money's all going into. And the lender says, connect your business bank account. And it's Uh like, well, I got five. (laughs) Exactly. And so they connect their main that it all comes into, but everything's going out. So it doesn't look great. So if you are doing that strategy, I would suggest you 
create a really, really good plan with a funding professional to condense those into one PDF with all of your accounts there. And instead of just blindly applying, I would contact the lender, say, hey, here's the exact situation. Here's all five accounts. We are actually very profitable. We just disperse it differently. So it's kind of putting that together before you just go blindly apply with a lender. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So yeah, if you've got a complicated situation, let them know. But it is nice if you can kind of have most of your business banking at one account. Now, I think it is important to have a separate account, maybe a sacred account where you are, hey, this is our profit and we've got to figure out how to make it work so that you're actually being profitable in your business or you're putting money aside to invest or money inside for taxes. Yeah, There's a lot of business owners out there and tax time is coming up and they're going to be very surprised when their accountant says, son or, or ma'am, you owe $25,000 in taxes personally as the business owner because that was the additional money you made. And so you you better have that money sitting in the savings account ready to go out. There's nothing worse than owing the IRS money and having to do a payment plan and pay a bunch of interest and have a tax lien on your property. So, you know, you're always better off having that money saved up. But I will say this, and there's a big misinformation about this, file your tax return. So many business owners I've seen will go literally fall behind years with their taxes and they are in so much trouble with the IRS, but they just think they're going to be okay not filing. And now they've got all these penalties, all these interests owned, and they didn't realize they could have just set up a payment plan. The IRS will actually let you finance your back taxes owed up to like 10, 15, 20 years. Like it's crazy. So they'll make the payment affordable for you. And then you need to get ahead of that and not be in that situation next time. So, you know, I think a 0% interest credit card is a great way to pay your taxes too. If you didn't plan ahead, you didn't save that money, and all of a sudden it's like, crap, I owe $10,000, in taxes. Well, guess what? You can make that payment on a credit card, and it's a great Very way to true. put it on a 0% card and set a plan to pay that back over the next 12 to 15 months, and that way you're not paying all these taxes and penalties for um, either extending or going on a payment plan with the IRS. Just do it on your That's own huge. internal payment plan. That's so smart, Ty. Because a lot of people will do the payment plan, and the IRS will charge you 18%, 20% interest for being late. Not to mention they'll have these bonus late fees on top of the interest that they charge you, right? And so if you borrow money at 0% interest or even a business line of credit at 8 to 10%, that's a lot cheaper. And then you don't have that burden of <laughs> owing the IRS yeah. and you get it paid off. Oh, yeah, that's that's worth, worth its weight. You know what's funny? I've had clients literally tell me, like, Ty, I, the IRS is going to charge me a fee if I put it on a credit card. I'd rather just uh, set up a payment plan with them. I'm like, oh my goodness, wait a minute. It, it's like a 3.5 or 4% processing fee to put it on a card versus 18% or whatever interest it is they're going to charge you over the next 10 years, however your pay- payment plan works. It's like do the very basic math, talk to a professional, talk to your CPA, go get that business credit card or even personal credit card yeah. and, and pay your taxes. 0% with a 3% fee or 18%. Yeah. Got to weigh that one out and make a good decision. All right, guys, so that's verifiable business income uh, with personal income. I mean, you're qualifying for, you know, if you're a business owner, obviously, if you're employed, it's just your last couple pay stubs, pretty simple, Uh, give out that W-2. But if you're a business owner, they're looking at your personal tax return 1040 for a mortgage, car loan, and they're looking at that bottom line adjusted gross income number uh, that is your actual net income. So what can be tough for a lot of business owners is they have some depreciation, some other expenses, maybe they're real estate investors, and they really made a lot of money, but because they had depreciation expenses that 
wiped out that income. Now they show no income, and it gets really tough for them to qualify for any yeah. financing. And so if you know that, you know, as a business owner, you're going to be looking to buy a house in a year or two, and maybe maybe you are. Maybe you're expecting the market to come down a little bit. It's come down in the last year, and you're looking for that opportunity. Well, you should plan on showing more income so you qualify and get with your mortgage broker so you can actually buy that property. Yeah, I mean, paying yourself W-2 for a little while can be a, a great way to do it. I know it's a little bit more from a, a tax liability standpoint, but that way you can at least get into the home that you want. Yeah. And then if you need to adjust the way you're paying yourself once you're in the home, that's totally fine. That's right. They love W-2. When it comes to personal lending, personal loans, auto loans, mortgages, credit, they just love that W-2. So it's a good point, paying yourself W-2, another great solution. So next, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, debt-to-income ratios and how that works. That sounds fascinating, right? But uh, before we do, just a, a couple more uh, funding success stories. So I remember I was, uh, we were sitting there at ClickFunnels, and Russell Brunson was doing a training, and he was talking about creating profitable sales funnels. And it's funny, we just did a training for that in our community on Wednesday with Funding CEO Academy about sales funnels. But to get started with sales funnels, you are spending some money on advertising. Yeah. And if it's Facebook, if it's YouTube, if it's Instagram, you're going to need some capital. You're going to need some money. And so when he first started out, I think he had uh, a couple Amex cards. One of them was a regular credit limit. I think one of them was one of those charge cards. Uh-oh. And so he was using one of those charge cards, racking up like fifty to 100000 but he was just good enough with his sales funnels that he would bring in enough income by the next month to be able to pay it off. And uh, Alex Hormozzi was talking about doing this uh, same thing where he would basically have, you know, the payment isn't due for like 45 days or so by the time when he's using the, the charge card. And so he would just have the sales come in over that, uh, you know, a 30 to 45 day period and he built a paid off and he would grow, 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 grow. And so that, that can actually work. And those guys uh, made that work. Of course, uh, if, with most of our clients, we recommend getting regular revolving credit accounts that you have 0% interest up to 18 to 21 months and you have an affordable monthly payment. How do those payments generally work? Yeah. So those payments on a, on a true open-ended revolving credit card, you're, the way it works is you have a minimum required monthly payment that's usually about 2 to 3% of your balance. So if you have a $1,000 balance that month, you're paying 2% of $1,000. If you have $10,000, you are paying 2% of $10,000. And you can continue to make that minimum payment as long as you want and keep it in good standing. Or you can make larger payments and just go pay it off. But uh, anytime you see a card that says net 30 or net 60, what that uh -oh. means is you have to pay that whole thing off in 30 days. Otherwise, it's going to turn into a late pay or a delinquency. So most marketing campaigns might take 6 to 12 months before they start turning around and really generating income and profiting. And so, or if you're hiring someone or that piece of equipment. So keep those things in mind. If you put yourself in a bind, and I, I just will never forget this, uh, you know, one of my old business partners got like one of those Amex cards and charged up like... Like sixty five, seventy five thousand dollars, and I'm like, bro, don't do that. Don't do that. Get a regular one with a regular revolving. Make that payment affordable. Because if you get in a bind, you're screwed. Of course, he got in a bind, couldn't make the payment, and really hammered his credit with late payments because of it. It's funny how people like to flex that card too. Like I, I see that all the time. Like got the Amex Platinum, 
Dude, no limit. Don't have a limit. It's like, oh, <laughs> nice, dude. That's because you have to pay it off next month in full. Of course, you don't have a limit, but uh, your limit is whatever you can afford, I guess. Oh, so. my goodness. Yeah. It's crazy. So, be careful. Don't do that. Don't do that. Give Always think about putting yourself in a position of safety where if worst-case scenario happens, you've got an affordable monthly payment to make ends meet. I think Amex is – they're one of them that, thankfully, they're actually – kind of okay about working with you if it's like yeah they will i screwed up i can't afford 100%. it they'll kind of yeah. put together a payment plan there are a lot of them that won't though you have to be really careful if you have net 30 terms and you're not ready to pay that thing in full in 30 days they can report it as late payments yep. report collections like be really careful with and, those and they what they might what i've seen them do is be like all right you owe 30 grand well i need three payments of 10 over the next three months and then if you don't do that uh, you're basically in default then they'll start piling up 30, 60, 90 day lates and your credit will tank and then you get hit with uh, fees. And and then the other thing that happens that people don't know is once you start defaulting over here, well, all your other credit card companies and lenders, they're getting an update on your credit report every single month because they'll cut your credit or close your account out when they get scared and start to see a default in other places. Yeah. And it, it messes with your utilization too, because you're your limit is essentially your balance. And I see that on credit reports all the time where it's like their limit's $3,427. What's going on? It's like, oh, okay, it's that stupid charge card. So it looks like it's a 100% credit utilization mm. because that's what they put on the card yep. and that's currently the balance. That's and so a good it point. can get really messy that way too. So I mean, if you are going to use one of those, that's fine, but pay it off every single month a few days before the due date so that it actually reflects and reports. Very, very good point. All right, let's talk about uh, our story when we uh, funded this business. And we've used different strategies to fund it, but the initial funding strategy is uh, actually uh, very, very interesting because I was we were coming from a previous business, and to leave that business, I basically took like over a, it's actually about $150,000 in existing debt to, from that business that I had to take with me to the new business in order to leave that business and so that meant I was tapped out and I didn't qualify for funding because just like we were talking about the maxed out cards mean you're automatically declined. That's where I was sitting at. And so if you're in that position where your credit's not where it needs to be or you're maxed out and you can't qualify, well, number one, I think it's super important to understand you have to have a proof of concept. Don't go out and ask a mom, dad, uncle Bob, whoever to be your credit partner and help you qualify for funding for your business until you have proof of concept. We had proof of concept. We knew the business model worked. We just had the wrong business partners at the time. So we started over, had the right setup this time. We knew the business model worked, and this time we did it much smarter. And then because I'd had some success already, I went and, and was trying to think who could help me. And bless her soul, my mother-in-law, Norma, actually stepped up as a credit partner. We got $65,000. And we used about 50 of it in the first uh, three or four months. And by the end of the next year, we had it all paid back. It was 0% interest. And I paid her and compensated her um, for the use of that. She was all we were worried that was going to mess with her Social Security. And they were going to get mad, but they didn't. And so that was awesome. And then we were able to take uh, uh, take her and, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, my father-in-law to Disney World this last year and, and paid for them. And so that was that was great. Boy, she loves roller coasters. Crazy ladies. He's like 70 screaming, oh, let's go on all the big roller coasters. That's my awesome. wife's like, no, mom, I don't want to go on that one. And she's like, she went on all of them. And my, my daughter's like, grandma, you're a savage. You're unbelievable. So. 
It's impressive. Look at all the jobs that she's created. Yeah, no, and she doesn't get it. Sometimes I'll tell her how much I appreciate her stepping up and helping, and and I'm gonna be ready to cry. And she just she's like, that was no big deal. It was a pretty big deal. It's it's literally probably equates to thousands of jobs, not just the jobs for us, but the people that we funded yeah. because she was willing to step up. Like literally, that woman because of that investment has created thousands of jobs. I know it's incredible. God, God bless her. All right, so that's uh, our story. But then you always want to position your business to qualify for future financing. So once we got that paid off, all right, let's build our business credit. Let's let's manage our personal credit. Let's have more lines of credit. And so as an example, like remember we got uh, we got an initial business card for ten thousand. It's now up to a hundred two thousand dollar limit. And so we're always taking steps. The time to get access to money is before you need it. Yeah, and that that's actually where my story comes in, Leo, because I. Starting out, yes, I, I would consider myself your business partner, but I was kind of doing my own thing because um, I still had my bills. I was still selling for another company. And as I was realize, realizing, like, you know what? It's time I go full-fledged with Leo. I wasn't full-fledged from the very very get-go, so I need to get some skin in the game. We made a, an agreement with how much equity I got, and guess what? I had to pay for that. And I didn't have that money at the point sitting in a bank account, but I had really good, strong personal credit. I don't know if you remember this, but we put – think it was initially we financed you helped me finance out a lot of it internally but I think I had to put like a lump sum of thirty thousand dollars or something on a credit card and I put that on a zero percent card oh that's right and paid that down over the next 12 13 14 months and that's how I actually got skin in the game and and got started with us. I am a, an example of someone that used a 0% interest credit card to start their business it's what we call creative financing when Tony Robbins says you can find the money People can't always find the money, and that's why we exist, yeah. to help them find the money. And if you have clients that you're trying to find money for them, I mean, that's one of the biggest objections that we see. If you're a coach, consultant, trainer, marketing agency, and I mean, that's what you see all the time is you run into the money wall. As uh, yeah. one of our partners, uh, Stephen, uh, always says, you run into the money wall, and there's options and solutions they just don't know about. Yeah, and, and you have to be open to them. Like I, I had a rep come in here today, Leo, that said, so-and-so doesn't want to move forward because they only want a business line of credit. It's like, hang on, wait a minute. First and foremost, that person's probably over 50 because, no offense, I don't want to offend you, but it's that older generation that is so consumed, it's got to be a business line of credit. Well, answer me this. What can you do with a business line of credit that you can't do with a business credit card? You can pay interest on it, but the card might be 0%. (laughs) You can pay interest and not get any cash back or points because that will happen. Not only that, but you can get charged every single time you draw against it. So why on earth would you want, unless we're talking about like a multiple six-figure business line of credit, that's where it's a little different because you're not going to get that in a credit card. But for someone looking for $30,000, $40,000, $50,000, Get over the business line of credit. There are so many more things you can do and so many more advantages with a business credit card. You've got to open your eyes to that. And I think the biggest uh, fear that they have is, oh, I've got to buy this piece of equipment and they won't take a card or I've got payroll. And the cool thing is that people don't know is we, we've got a cash accessibility program where you can access 90 to 95% of the limit and keep a 0% interest rate. And I'm not talking cash advance. We would never promote a cash no. advance and pay that higher rate. So you're keeping a 0% interest rate. You're accessing it cash. It comes to your bank account, um, you know, minus a small service fee and, and it works. And the cashback thing is so huge. And this is where 
it's funny. We were talking uh, to this mortgage guy yesterday, and he was talking about this type of mortgage where the whole thing's a home equity line of credit, and a lot of people would get in trouble with that. But people that are disciplined with their money can win this money game so yeah. big. And so for us, it is using, I pay all of my bills with one credit card or sometimes some of the other ones just to keep them active. Yeah. And we pay all of our bills business-wise as much as we can with a business credit card. Tell people why we do that. Well, there's there's a few different reasons. I would say the number one reason is we're getting free money. Free money. Right? I, and you can get strategic about that. I I do something similar to you, Leo, but I do have one card I put all of my fuel on because I'm getting 4% cash back on fuel. Smart. We have one card we do all of our groceries on. We have one card that, well, right now it's Discover because you were able to unlock the like 3 or 4% cash back on Amazon. Who, who do but you use for the fuel card? For fuel, it, there's some variables there, but mo- almost me. always the Chase. The, okay. the Chase Inc. I okay. always do fuel on because okay. you can get phenomenal rewards. The one variable is if we go to Costco. Uh, then you definitely put okay. that on the Costco City card. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Discover has an awesome Amazon cash back right now. We do a lot of shopping on oh, Amazon. Yes. I mean, who so does? So I'm constantly rolling. Sometimes it's City on Amazon. Sometimes it's Discover on Amazon. But you can almost always get 3 to 4% cash back on your money as long as you're just using the right cards. And that's huge. So, I mean, you think about it. Let's say your business has a million dollars in expenses that might generate twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars in free money. I know some of our clients use it to pay health insurance for the whole company. They take the company on a trip. Like there's so many amazing benefits by using these cards for your business. And then personally, the same thing. Yeah. Not only that too, but another one, Leo, with credit cards, I actually felt fairly scammed. Like I bought tickets to go to the, the 49ers Dolphins game. Oh yeah. I went to the game, the tickets worked, it was awesome. But I paid an extra few hundred dollars for me and my friends to get sidelined. But like we got to go down on the field afterwards and be part of the post-conference and whatnot. But guess what? Those tickets were fake. And if I were to wire money to someone or spend cash on those, I'm stuck. There's no, if they are not willing to give me my money back, no, there's nothing I can do. However, because it's on a credit card, I was able to do what's called a chargeback. Now, I don't. You, you can't get reckless with chargebacks. Like it has to be got to be legit. You like legitimately they, were they scammed, scammed. Yeah. It, exactly. But because I was able to talk to the 49ers uh, staff, and they ultimately said, "Yeah, there's no, there's no such thing as what you were sold here." I had them oh, take my. a little picture with me and, and get all the proof. But I sent that into uh, Chase, and they gave me my money back. And guess what? If I did that on cash or wrote a check or did a wire, that money's just gone. Even a debit card, like yeah. it'll be five times more difficult oh, and you'll be jumping through hoops. You'll be on hold forever. You'll be transferred to 10 departments. But that's just the magic of using that credit system that our country has built out. And that's why that's why wealthy people use credit cards, but they don't pay interest because they pay it off before they're charged interest. And I used to think from the day that you do it, then you're charged, but it doesn't work that way. It's actually like about a 30 to 45-day delay. It might even be 60, depending on when you use when you charge the card that you're not paid paying interest on. And you'll just check that balance and, oh, here's your balance from the previous. And you just pay that off every yeah. month, and you never pay a dime of interest. Most so. of them will show you. There's a statement balance and a current balance. Yep. You just clear the statement balance every month. Yep. Exactly right. And that, my friends, is smart money tactics that smart money business owners are using. That's what we teach our clients and, and partners and our team every single day is use these smart money tactics 
and amazing things, you know, can happen that way. And one of the biggest uh, questions we've gotten over the years is, all right, I've got all these credit cards, loans, I've got investments, and I have to log into 25 different websites to manage them all. Oh, that's really annoying. <laughs> is there some kind of solution for that? There is, and it exists right here. If you go to myfigures.com, you can actually connect not just your credit cards. Of course, you can connect all your credit cards, but you can connect your bank accounts, your mortgage accounts, your investment accounts to get all of your money in one single platform and to manage all of it, to see your transactions, to set financial goals, to create budgets, to separate personal and business. It's all right there. Myfigures.com. Go get your money right. Win the money game. Build that net worth up. Everybody, enjoy the weekend. Wait, before we go. Super Bowl. Who's winning the Super Bowl tie? This one is hard. This is one of the hardest Super Bowls for me. But uh, this is I, I finally made up my mind. What do you got? I'm cheering for the Chiefs. I want the Chiefs. Andy Reid is my guy. However, because of the matchups, the NFL is all about matchups. It's funny. I think the Eagles win by four. It's funny. I that's that's pretty much sums it up for me too. I love love Patrick Mahomes and I love Kansas and Andy Reid. But yeah, I at the end of the day, I feel like Philadelphia just has more talent everywhere, and yep. they're just a slightly better team, and that they're probably going to win the game. Um, I think but, they'll jump on them yeah. early. It's going to be thirty-one twenty-seven. Yeah. Bet on Eagles scoring more the first half. Bet on the Chiefs scoring more the second half. Coming but it back. won't be enough. The Eagles will win. Yep, I can see it. The only X factor is if somehow uh, the Kansas City defensive line that uh, Jones dude steps up and they they stop the run. They get some pressure on Hurts. And Patrick Mahomes has a chance to win at the end with like 30 seconds. That's the only way I see him winning. And it has to kind of work out just perfectly where weird stuff happens. And that's the thing. Yeah. Like, you never know that weird bounce, that weird thing, that that special teams play that you didn't see coming. If something yeah. like that happens for Kansas, that's going to help. But other than that, I agree. I think the Eagles are probably going to win. Yeah. All right, guys, we'll see what happens. God bless. Have a great weekend. Hope you enjoy these smart money tips to get your money right as a business owner. And we'll see you next week with next week's episodes. Thank you for joining us on the Go Figure podcast. If you learned something that will help your business or family, take 30 seconds and give us a five star. If we added value to your day, then share the show with someone who wants to get their money right and be sure to subscribe to the Seven Figures Funding YouTube channel. If you're a business owner and a parent committed to getting your money right for your family, then check out the MyFigures.com money app with a free 30-day trial to manage your money, track your debt worth, and build a profit-first business through our fintech platform. God bless, and we'll see you next time on the Go Figure podcast.